0: For me, there, Uh, there's a meme I saw recently that um, shows you the reality. You see a gym in December and a gym in January. Everybody fighting for uh, some space. (laughs) Uh, But it's that time of year. It's it's a time of year where uh, everybody's in the midst of some kind of New Year's resolution. And maybe you're in one right now. Maybe at the beginning of the year you said, and this is this is the kind of resolutions we tend to do here. Is I want to lose weight. I want to maybe start working out some more, eating better, some of those kind of things. That's the resolutions we tend to do nowadays, which I think is somewhat a um, commentary on our culture, maybe, because back in, you know, if you go back a few decades or more, the resolutions were a little different, you know? I want to save more money, maybe. Or it might have been, I, I want to be more generous, or I'll be, I'd like to be more kind to my family, or more sacrificial or those kind of things, right? Now it's I just I have a gut and I would like to look a little better. And so I'm going to eat better and work out or whatever. But the reality is we make resolutions and it's something that we've always done as as a as a people, as human beings. And a good question is is why do we make resolutions? Why is that something that's in us? Whether it's New Year's or anytime, we we just tend to do it. And I think a good answer to that question is is that we just sense a need for change, don't we? There's a part, there's something in our lives we want to change, and so we want to resolve and do better doing that. But here's the, the catch with resolutions for many of us is they're hard to keep, aren't they? Like, I mean, resolutions tend to, you know, I saw another meme that showed. Um, that showed um, on one hand, you know, December, empty gym. And then January 1st, the gym is full. January 2nd, it's empty again, right? Because we, it's really hard to keep resolutions. Resolutions are just kind of be known to be broken, you know? It's like, oh, well, it was just a resolution. But why is it hard, so hard, to keep our resolutions, why is it... Let me ask maybe a little deeper question. Why is it so hard to see lasting, positive change in our lives? That's a really good question, isn't it? Well, what Paul here is, is pointing out to us and challenging us with is an offer to lasting, positive, powerful change and transformation in our lives. And and he... he basically says that real change occurs when we put off the old self and put on a new self. And so let's look at that. Because this, I think, is the the heart of what real change really becomes and can become for us as people. And so he says, put off the old self. And so the good question is, is, what is he talking about? Put off old self. What does he mean by that? And so look with me in verse 17. He says, now, I, this I say and testify in the Lord. Now, he's saying, what he's saying here is, what I'm talking about here, this isn't optional, by the way. So he's, this isn't like, hey, this is a friendly suggestion, Okay, so he's adding to, I'm saying this, but I'm also saying this as God's apostle. I've been sent from God to tell you and communicate with you. And then he's particularly pointing that out here, okay, just so you all know. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So let's stop again. Who's the Gentiles. Okay? They were basically anybody that wasn't a Jew. And in this case, it wasn't anybody who was a follower of Jesus. And in particular, it's the Greek culture that this church lived in. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. They were Greeks. And he's saying, don't live like the culture around you. Don't live like the world around you. And then he goes on to describe who these are. Okay, Don't walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Because they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy practice of every kind and impurity. Okay? And so he's saying, don't live like them. Now, I don't think he's just trying to single out the Gentiles or the Greeks in, in particular, the, the Greeks in Ephesus or whatever. He's saying anybody outside of Christ, anybody who hasn't known God, don't live like them anymore. Don't continue walking. And he notice how he says this. Okay, That you, you must not live or walk like they do. And I believe that would, that would you would include the people sitting in this room because it's God's word for us. So he's saying we shouldn't live like we used to live. Now, it's very easy um, to immediately go to the thoughts of just the worst people you can think of. And, and in some ways, the way he describes this would take you there, right? He, he says, you know, walking in the futility of their minds, darkened in understanding, alienated from God and their ignorance and so on, and moves towards sensuality and so on. But he is basically saying anyone who doesn't know God is separated from God and therefore is in a pattern and, and life that moves them in a certain direction. So, but here's the, one of the things you need to understand about what he means by the, the, the Gentiles, if he's, if he's referring to, as an example, the Greeks, they were actually, at times, very religious people. They worshipped gods. They had, and they were also very often, very moral people. Now, some of the Greeks were just straight out hedonists. In other words, their whole goal in life was pleasure. But there was also the Stoics and Epicureans and others who, they, they had morals and they had certain value systems and so on. And so, he, so in one sense, he's saying the moral religious Gentiles, but also those who are just going off and doing anything and everything all over the place. So in other words, what, what Paul's here saying is, he's not pointing us here to just living moral lives for the sake of moral lives. Okay? It's very easy to say, oh, he just wants us to, to start living a good life. You know, and if you just live a good life, then you you're good. And he's not saying that here. So we have to be really careful there. Because just like what Jesus taught us in the parable of the lost son, some people call it the prodigal son, y'all know know the story, where a a son comes to his father and and asks for his inheritance, and and he leaves home, and he goes off, and he squanders all this money in wild living, and then he comes to his senses, and he comes back to the father, and the father shows him grace. But the older brother, and it was really the point of the parable, the older brother is there, and he's angry. That his father would show grace to the son who's come home. Why? It says, because I've slayed for you. I've worked for you. And the point of that parable is, is that both the lost son, the younger son, and the older brother who has been there working, slave, both of them are far and apart from the father. And so what he's saying here is, don't walk like the Gentiles. How did the Gentiles walk? It tells us here. Okay? It says, in the futility of their minds. The futility means pointlessness, meaninglessness. In other words, their, their minds just don't, they, where they're headed and what they're going to has no meaning. Okay? And it says they're darkened in their understanding and they're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of their hearts. What he's saying here to walk like a Gentile is to walk apart from God in your own merits, in your own strength, in your own will, and that is in his idea here, pointlessness, futility. But let's let's um, Tim Keller brings this out in a really good way. He's a pastor in uh, New York. He talks about it in this sense. He's like, if you are not, if you are separated from God. Everything you set out to do, everything you seek in your life will be taken away from you. And that sounds really harsh. But think about it. Say, he uses the example of love. Think about love. Think, you've been seeking love and maybe you have found it. Let me tell you, that will be taken away from you. Either you will be taken away from that person, that person will be taken away from you eventually in your life. Or maybe it's, you know, success. Success. Maybe it's all these things that we look for in life will be taken away from you. And so it is a futility. It is a meaninglessness. It is a pointlessness to it. Okay? And so, but we also see here in these Gentiles why it is so hard for people to really change for the positive. Okay? because when we start down this path and we 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 separated from God, we're chasing this thing. A, a a process happens here, if you'll notice. He says, and so put it this way: because they've lost all sensitivity to the God to which they were created, people surrender themselves gradually to three kinds of wickedness. One of them, he says, sensuality, which means uh, shameless debauchery, just going for it. Okay, impurity meaning riotous immorality, and then greed, which means insatiable appetites because sin is never fully satisfies. And so, in other words, when we're separated from God, we're in the futility of our mind, and we just get, almost get down to the like base instincts of animals. And we're just chasing our desires. And that's where he's saying... So, in other words, sin... Is enslaving, okay, an insatiable craving that people can't escape from. And, and so because you know, resolutions tend to be motivated by our self preservation, our own personal flourishing or whatever, that is why it's become so hard to see lasting change. It, it, it's self defeating. Because, uh, because one, at one point, another desire is going to raise its head and take over. You know, it's like, I want to look good, but eventually, that hamburger or that donut at church is going to look better than the idea of having, you know, a washboard abs or whatever. That's the way it works, Okay? But worst of all in this is in terms of the old self, is that he describes them as separated from the life of God. And so he says that something has to happen. We have to have put off the old self. Okay. So secondly, he then on the flip side of that he says that we should put on a new self. In other words, he, he, in other words, he, um, what does that mean then? So what does it mean? To put on the new self. And probably the best phrase to describe this is down in, uh, excuse me, uh, down in verse 22. It says, to put off your old self, which so on, actually, 24, excuse me. And put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And so he's, he's contrasting the new self with the old self. The, the, new, the old self was foolish. And, and, it, and the mind was darkened. There's a sense of ignorance because it's denying the creator, denying how we've been made, denying our true purpose for life and living and so on, and instead has moved in and denied those things and moved into futility and a darkness of mind. And in here we see a mind that is, de- that is uh, determined and pointed to truth and reality. And a, a mind, a person that is, knows that they are created by God and redeemed by God. Okay, And so he's contrasting these selves. Okay, But notice he's using the phrase put on, put off. And that's an important phrase that we need to understand here because the idea here is clothing. It's the, the, the Greek phrase here is a phrase that means to put on clothing or take clothing off. It's a very common idea, right? So it's easy to see. So he's saying take off that old, stinky, nasty garment and put on a new one. We've done that, right? If you've ever gotten muddy or, or dirty or whatever, you've taken those clothes off. Um, it reminds me of one time when we were living in Columbia, South Carolina, we were, um, the toilets and stuff were backing up, you know, and so I'm trying to work on this without having to cause a. You know, pay a, pay a plumber is what it was. It was like D-Y-I plumbing for me, which is not a good scenario here. Well, so my thought was maybe it's just some toilet paper, some stuff stuck down in there somewhere. So I start flushing toilets and trying to get water to go down just to flush this thing out. Nothing is working. And so then I realized down at the road there is one of those... Um, Caps that hold that the cover supposed to, or it's not cover, but it's the, it's a clean out down by the road. And so it has no cap. So I'm thinking, well, maybe it's because I can't get enough pressure to get this thing flowing. Y'all with me now? And so I went to Home Depot and bought a cap and put it on there and started flushing and getting, and, and so I was going to, and it wasn't working. So stuff's still backing up. So I went down there and I was going to open this thing back up and check what's really going on. And I opened this thing and all that pressure I had been creating came out violently all over me. As you would imagine, all the things that go down a toilet had just come out of this thing all over me. And I remember having, so I came up to the house and I I think Amanda must have seen me coming because she was like, no, you are not coming in. And I had to take off, put off my garments in the, in the garage. She wouldn't let me come in the house. And that's the idea he's putting on here, you know. And, and he's also getting at the idea is that, you know, we as God's people, we have taken off a garment already. And now we're, we're to put on a new garment. And the problem is, is that we want to go back and put the old garments on. And they don't fit anymore. As God's people, we aren't this. We aren't like the Gentiles anymore. We have been rescued. We have been redeemed. Christ has come and has redeemed us and has made us new in him. And so it, it's like if y'all remember the old Saturday Night Live skit, some of y'all may. It was Chris Farley, where he would take a, a jacket that was obviously too small, and he would be like, Fat guy in a little coat. You know what I'm saying? Y'all, y'all remember that? And that's what it's like. We're putting this same thing on. And, and you think about if you put clothing on that doesn't fit and it's too small. It's restricting. You know, you can't get your in arm in there. And, and you certainly can't love people because you can't, you, know, you can't hug them. Right? And, you know, it just doesn't work. And that's kind of where he's getting at here in terms of putting on the new self. Put it Putting on a new self. Okay? Okay? But notice, though, what he's saying here, though, he is not saying putting on new behaviors. Now he's using the word self. So this Greek phrase "put on" was very often it meant to put on clothing, but they also very often would they would use it to describe. And actually, Paul does in other places, and he talks about actually down in the, later on in this chapter, putting on they'll you know put off put off falsehood, put on, on, you know, so on. And so he described it. Normally, in the Greek world, this phrase would mean to put on behavior. So put on good behavior. Put on righteousness. Put on this. Put on that. And right here, he does something really radically different. He's saying that, that, that something has, it's not just put on behaviors, which we would assume, But rather, we would put on a new self. Actually, the literal here is put on a new man. A new person. And so, it it didn't mean to just change our behavior. It means something radically different. It means to recognize a radical change and transformation. Here's the thing. Has already happened. You have to be really careful here because... You start thinking, oh, well, I, I need to put on, as a Christian, this new man. And what's interesting about what Paul does here is, he, this idea of being put on is actually a word in the past tense. In other words, he is saying that a, a reality has already happened for you and me if you are in Christ. That you have already put off this person, this uh, other self. And you, have all, and you have become a, an entirely new person in Christ. That has already happened. And because of that, our lives should be different. Do you see, that, see this? He, he want, he's pointing to a reality here that we need to understand. That um, it means to recognize that a radical change and transformation has already happened this is an illustration of uh the it was saint augustine who lived a long time ago well saint augustine was was a man who uh was you know he lived in wild living and would be with women and other people and just lived in a war a life of debauchery and he came to know christ he put on a new man and there's a, a, a story that he tells that he uh, went to another town one time and he ran into a woman that he had um, lived in wild living with and she recognized him and came up to him and began to proposition him and say, oh, you know, Augustine, oh, you know. And he, he didn't respond to her. And he actually began to walk away and, and she said, Augustine. It is I. Don't you remember me? It is I. And he turns and he says, Oh, I know. But it is no longer I. And what he experienced is what a lot of of, of us who have come to know Christ, we, we all of a sudden, the whole framework, the whole picture, the whole man, the whole person has changed. And then we have put on a new person, a new um, uh, self as you might say and so and this is why the, the Bible talks about if you receive Christ in faith it's not just you, you've changed uh, uh, your belief system it's not that you just be, you've begun to change a moral code which most people would take if you're, if you're here you're not a Christian I have so many times run into people who their view of Christianity is just a belief system that gives you a new moral code A new way of living. And it does. So you'll see, if you you read on in this chapter, he begins to add on to these things. But you have to go through these verses first. He's saying, don't walk like the world. Why? Because you have put on a new person. You are no longer that same person anymore. So stop trying to go back to it. I've heard it described to so one commentator put it this way. Is, it's like we were in we were in, uh, we were in as, as when we were as Gentiles, we were separated from God. We didn't know it. It's like asking a fish to describe water. <laughs> you can't do it. And so we were enslaved in the stinky, nasty, old prison. And then Christ has slung the gates open and we come out and you look back and you say, oh my gosh. How did I live like that? How did I think like that? How did I? And this is Augustine experienced, right? All of a sudden, a new self. But when when, when the fears of life come, when when uh, when the desire comes along, we, we sometimes want to just refuge back in that stinky old nasty cell. And and, and sometimes we need other people, maybe, or we we. Sometimes it's God to just drag us back out of there into the light. And so we are no longer know those people. And so Paul tells us, right in the middle of these verses, what we are to do so, and how this is to happen. How are we to live in this reality? And he goes on to say this. He says, um, that's not the way you learned Christ. So don't walk like the world. Don't live the way they live. Okay? And he says, because that's not how you have come to know Christ. Assuming that you've heard him, by the way. He's assuming that. Uh, Assuming you've come to know him. And and, and so he's leaving that open. And I will too. Can't assume that anyone in here has really given their heart and lives to Christ. Okay? But we were taught him, and the truth is in Jesus. We were taught. And what that meant was, in the past, because if you've come to know Him, you've put off the old self, and you've put on the new self. Okay? And, here's the thing. Now this is what the present tense, this is what has to continue to happen in our lives. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Renewed in the spirit of your minds. Now, here's a, a phrase that Paul uses... That is strange throughout the Bible. There's a a lot that describes uh, that the word spirit is used a lot. And so some would say, well, maybe this is referring to the Holy Spirit of our minds. Okay, But the Holy Spirit is never referred to in this way, in any other way. You know, definitely it talks about the spirit of truth, the spirit of righteousness, and so on. The spirit of Christ, so on. But here is the spirit of minds. And, and so a lot of, most would begin to say that this really is about kind of the overarching spirit or the overarching trajectory of our hearts and minds. And that we would be renewed in the full trajectory, the full uh, thought process, our hearts, everything about us would be renewed on an ongoing basis in the reality and the truth of what Christ has done for us. It's about being renewed in the gospel over and over and over again. And so what that means, what does it mean, spirit of the mind? I would say it incorporates a few things. One, our, our motivations. Why we do what we do. If you think about it, and you can say, "Well, if you do the right thing, it doesn't matter why you did it, right?" But it does. Well, think about it. Okay, there's different motivations why you might do something. What if it's fear? If you fear, then, uh, and that's a good way. So, a fear would be, "I'm going to do the right thing," or "I'm not going to, I'm not going to steal," because I'm afraid I will get caught and get in trouble. And that's fine until there's a day where um, nobody's really there, and there's no way you can get caught. Then your moral to not steal goes out the window. Think about it. Or that other one might be pride. Well, I don't steal because we're I'm a good person. you know And you know that's what we do, right? And the problem is... One day, the the, the, the thought or the, the thought of stealing or whatever else might be a better idea. It might be better, you know. This might outweigh the benefits of looking good, and that's the problem. So when, we, if, when we're in Christ, we're to renew our motivations, but also our identity. Who are you? Why do you do the things you do? Is is grounded in who we are. Okay, and then lastly, then I want to hanker on this one just a little bit, our source of truth, or how do we decide what's right and what's wrong, what we should do and what we shouldn't do? And this is a big issue, because uh, the, the, to live and walk as the Gentiles do, that they basically decided what was right and what was wrong, what they should do and shouldn't do. And this is what Paul, I think, describing the futility of their minds, the darkening of their minds, is that they become the arbiters of truth. They become the ones who decide what truth is. Now, you're saying, oh, I'm a Christian. The Bible tells me what's right and wrong. Are you sure? Are you sure about that? Because very often it's easy for us to come to God's word and either omit things we don't like or try to skirt around things that are uncomfortable or un, you know, so on with us. And so, and so here's the thing is because I, I really I've heard Christians say this, oh that part really I, you know, that part of the Bible, you know, bothers me. And so they start finding ways to try to get around that or whatever. The thing is, if, if you come to God's word and it never bothers you, and this is God's, this is God, as it's described, his living and active word. If his word never challenges you and never bothers you, maybe you're coming to it in the wrong way. Because it's, it's his word. It's like if you're in a marriage... And that living person never challenges you, never bothers you, you've got a problem in your relationship. I just want to say that. <laughs> okay? Because that's the point of it. A living relationship challenges you. And so your God might be a cardboard cutout of a God that you want of your design. And so as God's people, we need to be challenged and and be renewed by his word that would actually challenge us. And so we are to be made new in the attitudes of our mind. And so if you this morning aren't sure or you're pretty positive, you've never put off that old self and never put on that new self. Let me invite you. It is done by receiving the free gift of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. By believing that and trusting it. That is, and, and, and we're told that in that you would be born again, made new, made a new person with new motivations, new identity, and even a new, uh, a new truth. Okay, but, so believers, are you living in the reality of That you are made new. That you are a new person. Are you going back to the little little prison? Are you you putting on the clothes, those stinky, nasty old clothes that don't fit anymore? Or are we being renewed in the spirits of our mind regularly? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth.